Welcome to Retention Chronicles, a podcast sponsored by Malomo, a shipment tracking platform that helps e-commerce brands turn order tracking from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel. On this week of Retention Chronicles, we are joined by co-founder and CMO Jennifer Jane and co-founder and CEO Christopher Jane. This sibling duo founded Proper Good, which is a brand with tasty, healthy, ready-to-go meals. I've tried them. You'll hear me talk about this in the episode. I really love them. We talk about their journey, bringing Proper Good to life, and they share about their experience, how they went into wholesale with a different company before they started Proper Good. One of the biggest takeaways that they learned from this was being able to build a nimble supply chain based on customer data and compared to wholesale or whole compared to wholesale or grocery, this is way easier in the D2C world, which is great for us because you get a lot of customer data. The Proper Good team was also on Shark Tank and they speak to how that widely increased their exposure and their sales pretty much overnight after the episode premiered, which how often do you get to speak to people who have been on Shark Tank? And they even speak to how you prepare for that. They give us kind of like the inside scoop of it all and how they were, I was very impressed to the steps that they took. Also something that is so incredible that I really admire about this sibling duo is how much they play into the brand. Jen and Chris give us the inside scoop of it all. If you have not seen their promos or their Shark Tank episode where they're in their hilarious costumes, I definitely recommend it. I think it's incredible that they play the part all the way through and they even describe how yes their costumes their branding makes their customers happy but they even go deeper to explain how the product itself from its transparent packaging from its quality ingredients to its readiness even takes away some of their stress of their customers which i think that was just so eloquently stated When you listen to the episode, you'll hear their rationale for their branding. They can do it way better than I had, than I, they can, they can explain their story way better than I can. But I mean, I've just never heard such a seamless explanation from all the way down to details, like the packaging to the big umbrella of the brand as a whole. One, of course, we touch upon customer retention in this episode. I thought they had a really fun take on customer retention and talking about, um, talking about developing the product, having a good product that as soon as it is in front of the consumer, it is almost granted that they will be returning if they have a good experience and they like the taste. And they walk through how they break down some of the feedback. They walk through their subscription plans, SMS, even their micro product iterations, proactive communication with customers. You can kind of check them all off the list. They are covered in this episode. But this summary has only been the tip of the iceberg when it comes to everything that they are doing. So please enjoy this this episode with, with Chris and Jen. Welcome to Retention Chronicles. Today we are joined by Jen and Chris at Proper Goods. Welcome both. We are so excited to have you here. First, I thought we could introduce ourselves. So Jen, I'll leave it to you to go first. Perfect. Thank you so much for having us as well. Um, I'm Jennifer Jane, and I am the co-founder and CMO of Proper Good. Wonderful. And I am Christopher Jane. Uh, Obviously, Jennifer and I are siblings, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Proper Good. 
Thank you both. And so what is proper good? I don't know if both of you want to kind of have your own take <laughs> on um, what it is, but for our listeners, I know they would appreciate knowing exactly what proper good is. Sure. Perfect. So proper good is essentially a healthy ready meals uh, company. And we make oatmeal, chili, soups, and other meals, which are all ready in 90 seconds. And there's no refrigeration needed. So it's super easy to take them anywhere. You might just need a quick, healthy, easy meal. Yeah. That's it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it. So I've actually, I've had proper good before. I, I have awesome. to gush for a quick second because I do, I love them and like going on the go. Um, it was perfect. I actually brought them into work my first week because our company, um, sent me a little care package with proper good. And so I was oh, nice. eating soups, <laughs> yeah, eating soups yep. for the whole week that I, um, started my job and it was, it was incredible, <laughs> super, like yep. they taste so good too. So I just have to, um, give you a little bit of applause on that end. Oh, yeah, thank thanks. you. <laughs> Appreciate that. I'm glad uh, I'm glad they all gave you some proper good. That's pretty awesome. Yes. Yeah. So let's dive into both your backgrounds. Uh, Jen, we'll start with you. So as you know, how did you get to founding uh, proper good? Sure. So probably, I don't know, about 15 years ago or so, um, first started exploring the kind of the US food market and got into a different company there and really learned everything there was, I guess, about <laughs> the big, <laughs> uh, the big system that is the US food um, space. And basically, when we were working previously, there were some other things that we were excited to try um, in different types of products and things. And then eventually, a couple of years ago, now we finally started proper good, but it definitely took us a a lot of learning within the food space before we finally um, created this company. Yeah, I've heard the food space is like very hard to crack into. I'm sure, (laughs) you know, that's just um, (laughs) what kind of floats around not having done it myself. So did you kind of feel like that, um, like that barrier at the beginning of starting proper good? Sure. I mean, I think obviously like everything, there is so much to learn. And when you are a complete newbie, you are trying to learn, obviously, label regulations at the same time, trying to learn, obviously, graphics and all that type of stuff, plus learning about ingredients. And obviously, there's a difference between making the recipes at home and then making them for a customer, obviously, learning about supply chains and obviously finding good people to work with. Like there was a million and one things. And it, yeah, it definitely took some time to really start to understand how all the pieces fit together. Um, and then obviously, once you've created the product, the whole thing of marketing it and all of that, you know, that lovely stuff that we're here to talk a little bit about today. Um, and obviously getting to know all of those parts of it as well. Chris, is there anything you would add, you know, like looking back on how you started yeah. Proper Good? Yeah, I think uh, just quick context, obviously, for everyone listening, I'm sort of familiar with consumer packaged goods. And like, it's just it's just a tough industry, right? I mean, you've got, you got a physical product, everything from supply chains and distribution to obviously everything else that comes with it. And it's just, it's just difficult businesses, right? There's many rabbit holes to go down. There's many different ways to do it, right? From grocery to D to C to alternate channels, there's literally a thousand different ways to go about it. And especially in the US, right? It's a big country with hundreds of millions of people. There's thousands of different retailers. It's, it's really, really challenging industry to understand. So, you know, as Jen said, we were two of uh, five co-founders at a previous food brand. So we really learned the industry 
pretty well there over a number of years and proper good came about just because we said you know what like we love the food industry it's a really fun industry right there's a lot of cool brands a lot of nice people everyone's willing to share like it's a really fun industry but it's a hard business to build right this is definitely a difficult business to build so basically i was doing my mba at the time and we said look we want to jump back in we want to create a new company um and at the time i was keto i was trying plant-based i was doing some other things and found there were tons of snacks right tons of snacks and tons of beverages some really good quality products for those types of things but not many meals right i was still cooking meals from scratch um so we said look could we create that kind of ready meal that familiar with in cans and so forth for 100 years but could we create that sort of ease and convenience of a 90 second meal but keto and zero added sugar and low sodium and ingredients lists that are short and easy so you know that was essentially the goal of creating those easy 90 second meals using everything we'd obviously learned you know pretty much in the last 10 years honestly um so yeah no we're, we're super stoked to be back in the food industry yeah i can hear that excitement in both your voices so <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and you mentioned that you both were co-founders of another com- uh, consumer goods company so what do you think like what it, what lessons did you learn having that company first that you brought to proper good Sure. I think one of the big things was with the previous company, we went into grocery pretty quickly Mm -hmm. um, and we did great with that. We got into thousands of stores and what was hard about it was the data side of it. So we just didn't have good data. So we'd see, oh, this Whole Foods is doing great, but the one 20 miles away isn't. But we didn't really know why. Um, And a lot of things like that. So with this company, we actually decided to do the opposite. We just said no to grocery like straight away, anybody that asked, we're like, no, we're not ready yet. So we went only D to C so that we could really understand our customer, like what they like, what they don't like, things like that, so that then we could make any changes. Obviously, it's a lot easier to change your products before they're in grocery. (laughs) So we basically said, okay, you know, this one isn't hitting the flavor profile or this one's got a confusing name and things like that. So we were able to then change that easily within our own D2C. So when we eventually go into grocery, I think we'll just understand our product a bit better. Um, and then, you know, it'd be a little bit easier, I think, to, to do that whole rollout. Whereas I think we were so keen for that kind of excitement of, wow, we're in Whole Foods or we're in Sprouts or whatever it is. But actually, it was almost too quick, I think. Um, and we didn't have that time to learn. Um, we've really tried to change it this time. Yeah. Um, just going to add to that, I think um, what's interesting as well, like data is obviously fantastic, but data is only useful if you can actually do something with it, right? And I think a lot of other problems with consumer products is the supply chains, right? They're often very long, right? Months sometimes to get a product from a supplier to here. Obviously, you often fill a warehouse, you know, with 100,000 products to get a good price per unit and that kind of stuff. And suddenly, then five weeks in, you get a bunch of consumer feedback and you're like, that's a very good point. Like, we (laughs) shouldn't have done that or we should have changed this. So I wish we could do that. But meanwhile, you've got a year's worth of inventory. So building supply chains that can actually be nimble enough to react like that. So as Jen said, we've got that data from D to C, right? Whether it's our, our private communities, whether it's the email surveys, whether it's just general reviews on the website, we can literally go within two weeks of launching a product. I don't know, everyone finds this split pea a little bitter. And then we literally work with the recipe team and quite literally two weeks later, the new recipe is launched. So trying to build that nimbleness, we can actually use the data to actually improve pretty much in real time or as close to it as feasible, um, I think is, is key. And then finally, just for anyone's interested in grocery, as Jen said, there's 
This, I would really encourage people to look at the different areas of the food industry, right? D2C is one, but obviously there, there's other things like cafes, hotels, coffee shops. There's many, many places obviously you can sell a product, whereas grocery has tremendous volume potential, but it's really hard, right? I mean, most brands do not make any money in grocery for the first year to two, right? The promotions, the billbacks, the off invoices, the, the kind of way that industry works has tremendous potential. But it's very capital intensive and very difficult. So it's like, how early on can we kind of test and learn and improve to the point of when we actually go down that process, we know the chance of success is obviously considerably higher. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, someone, like I said, who doesn't have experience in <laughs> trying to be or launch a product in grocery yep. or D to C. And I'm curious how, because I'm not familiar, how do you even get data from grocery because I'm very familiar with, you know, well, like you said, like email, you know, like customer retention and um, getting all the data, the customer data along the customer journey yep. in D2C. But how do you get that in the grocery world? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, sorry, go for it, Chris. <laughs> no, no, you're going to send me on a tangent. So, um, so <laughs> I would say it's, it's genuinely really difficult, honestly. So as, as a big brand, right, if you're a huge brand, obviously with unlimited resources, you have Brokers and shelf placement teams are literally going into stores every day. The idea is you have an agreement with the store, right? They'll have what's called kind of a shelf set where there's literally a 3D model of where your product's supposed to go, right? Aisle two, eye height, whatever it is. And yet a lot of the time that just doesn't happen, right? The person stocking the shelves is not communicated properly from the manager or whatever it is. And suddenly your product's on, on the wrong shelf or the wrong height or whatever you've agreed. But you don't know that unless someone's physically in the store. And obviously right. there are literally hundreds of thousands of stores. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the resources, are, yeah, the resources required for that is obviously tremendous. So for most small brands that obviously don't have things like that, you're essentially relying on very, very surface level store data, which is essentially turns per week, which is how many units per week per store. You get that in a pretty simple spreadsheet. And that, that's it, right? So you have no idea, you know, it's not like we can see, you know, John purchased this week and two weeks later, John came back and bought this or, you know, we don't have any credit card data. You don't have any way to like loop it back to an individual person. So as a small brand in grocery, it's it's about as minimal data, honestly, as you could imagine, which is awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. It sounds doesn't sound like a fun time. Uh, Jen, is there <laughs> anything you'd add to that? I want to give you space. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just thinking that it's funny because we, we know a few people that um, work in the UK food industry and it just sounds a little bit easier because there's kind of a few major grocery stores in the UK and just because it's a smaller place where the density of the population is, it's easier to get from A to B. Whereas in the US, like Chris said earlier, how there's just so many different chains that even if you kind of got to know one and a few of the managers there and they could kind of keep an eye on things for you, it, that's it. It's so hard beyond that. Whereas, you know, the UK sounds a little bit easier to keep tabs on things. Um, but also just with the retention, like with D to C, what we love is if someone buys keto from us, we release a new keto product. Obviously, we can put that straight in front of them. And yeah. you just can't do that in grocery. Obviously, you can do sampling, but again, it's just mad expensive and so hard. Whereas it's cheaper for us just to say, hey, have a free of our, you know, a free product of our new keto line um, and they can try it and it's very affordable for us to do. And you have that direct communication. They can let us know if they love it or hate it. And we can obviously decide what to do from there. Yeah, it, it kind of takes out the middle person and that yeah. you have that like direct direct relationship to that direct line to the customer to get that feedback and um, 
you know, hopefully to get their business and have more data. Um, there's one more thing that I would love to bring up um, about your guys' background. And it's the fact that you were on Shark Tank. <laughs> um, I think that's just crazy awesome. And I would love to just know more about like, do you think that was a turning point? Because as a, like a viewer standpoint, I'm like, oh, anyone who's on Shark Tank, it's like, oh, they made it, you know? Um, and so like, what do you think that did for your success or like your business strategy? Yeah, yeah, I think the number one thing it did for us was it actually gave us even more confidence in our product because as a small brand, it's so hard to let people know about your product, right? You've got limited resources. Obviously you're doing ads and all these different things that everybody else, but really getting like mass people to know about it is so hard in shark tank did that for us basically and we did an incredible amount of sales when we did shark tank and then we've seen since that those people have you know come back multiple times already so that really gave us yeah just real confidence in the brand to say wow now we've gone from a fairly small customer base to a massive customer base continuing to deliver Getting repeat purchases um, was pretty amazing. And in, in that, you know, I think Chris and I would both say if you have a DTC company with a mass appeal product, like a food product or something, I think the Shark Tank exposure is pretty much the best you can get. And I would probably try to go on the show if, if you could, <laughs> would be my general <laughs> advice. Yeah, I just, honestly, there's so many fun things to chat about on that. And we can, we can go into any of it really. But um, I would just say, you know, if you're selling a very, very specific product, like we've seen some people go on Shark Tank that have like, I don't know, like an individual sandwich shop in, you know, X location in, in New Jersey or something. And obviously that's really challenging because you get this massive media bump, right? I mean, you're talking millions of viewers per episode, one of the most watched shows of the night, but you only have a single location. No one can come and buy it from you. Whereas a D2C brand, obviously that traffic can instantly convert. And again, as a price point, right? Most of our items are five to $7 with free delivery, like it's very approachable for quite literally almost everyone. So it's like we were in a really nice position of we're a D2C brand. We have very approachable price points. Like it's a very visual brand, right? As you hopefully saw, we were full theatrics with outfits yeah. and so on. And like it's just a very entertainment driven kind of approach. And I think that worked really well for us. But as Jen said, it was definitely an inflection point. I mean, if you look at just general web traffic, I mean, we did probably you know, two to three months worth of sales over the weekend. And then that was a sustained bump for, for weeks ahead, um, which was really, really helpful. And and of course you got the benefit, right? Of that as seen on Shark Tank and people just reaching out to you. And it's just, there's a whole general kind of wider halo effect, which was, um, you know, super beneficial. Yeah, I imagine the publicity would be probably you know, the biggest factor and like the biggest draw to going on Shark Tank. Um, and so do you think like you were like the company was ready for that massive like influx of um, like, you know, of demand? So we uh, we prepared like crazy with our operations team and we did pre-pack, you know, as much products and boxes as we could and really tried to get ahead of the game. The whole team went to the facility as well. Like Chris and I were there like for the airing so that we could help basically pack boxes, try to get orders out on time. And we had, I think Chris put together like a spreadsheet of all the different stages of, you know, it goes okay, it goes medium or whatever. We shot past the kind of best case scenario. Wow. Yeah. So we planned everything and yet still we were, you know, struggling a little bit to keep up at the end. But it was, um, 
pretty awesome in that sense. Obviously, it was a good problem to have, right? Like we yeah. had so many orders. It was wonderful. Um, and we honestly, we're really appreciative too. It's amazing. Like as a small brand going out, there obviously his brother and sister. And, you know, we're from the UK as well. So it's kind of like a bit of a dream scenario, yeah. just kind of, you know, on Shark Tank and things. Um, and then to see the responses from people, it, it was really lovely. It was really cool yeah. experience. I was just going to add one, one thing on the on the tactical side for that in terms of growth. It was interesting. We kind of knew that there was, you know, there's a, kind of a cohort of just Shark Tank viewers that, well, that will buy things, right? Because they're on Shark Tank. There's So we saw that. I mean, before we'd even finished our opening pitch, right? So our whole segment was, I don't know, eight, nine minutes, something like that. Within one minute in, the website's blowing up with sales, right? People haven't even seen the product yet. They haven't seen the shark reactions yet. So they're just interested in clicking buy. So we created a whole separate funnel for that of, you know, most of our orders, if not all of them, are essentially build your own, right? You go and you pick and pack, you click the items you want. That's not what that consumer is really looking for, right? They're not reading the more info, they're not reading the advice, they're literally sat there on the phone watching Shark Tank going to click buy. So we literally created the homepage of Shark Tank special pack, one click checkout kind of thing. And what that allowed us to do is before we built, you know, thousands of those pre-built Shark Tank packs, and what we saw in the in the data afterwards was about half of all of the orders were just that pack. So for us, it was like, you know, while the team worries about the other thousands of orders that are truly going you know, to pick and pack like our usual process, the thousands of people that ordered that Shark Tank pack, I mean, they got their tracking numbers within like 24 hours of ordering, which it was just so easy from an operational point of view. So yeah, just, you know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to get on and go through the whole kind of process, like definitely don't just be a we'll see what happens like you need there's some real effort needs to go into avoid a complete mess um yeah <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah yeah you don't really want to lose um you know lose the customer because of that reason where you know they're waiting right. on um waiting on something that you could have operationalized or at least <laughs> tried to work towards before right, the right. airing of the show um and so with that, I think it's a good um, time to kind of transition into the brand perception. So what do you, I know like the crazy costumes, I would love to touch upon that and like the idea behind them. I think they're so fun. I'm so entertained <laughs> by them and I can imagine um, other consumers are as well. But so what's like the relationship between how you want the the consumer to perceive proper good and then you know kind of like the marketing strategy behind it all sure yeah i mean i, I guess we want people to perceive proper good as a, you know a proper food company i guess <laughs> yeah. in the sense that you know back in the day obviously everything's being made from scratch um, it's all very wholesome good for you ingredients then you go right to the other end of the spectrum and you've just got this kind of really long shelf life bad for you ready meal type of stuff that is just not what Chris and I want to eat and so we wanted to try to make that quick and easy side of it with proper ingredients type of thing you know simple wholesome very easy to read ingredients list um, and also fun and colorful and kind of like a happy brand you know like we want people that they grab the meal they read you know the writing on it there's like silly quotes on it and things like that hopefully you know it makes you feel good and what we've learned is a lot of people do have these meals when they're a bit stressed out. It's nurses on a busy shift. It's truck drivers 
you know, having a very quick break and don't want to have something from the gas station. Maybe it's busy parents, you know, just need a quick, healthy meal. And so we try to bring, you know, a little bit of just that happy moment um, into that. And we also have our happy spoons that we send out with orders, which are just these very colorful spoons that are perfect for eating all of our meals with. So we really try to make the brand just very transparent, very simple in that sense. And hopefully just really, you know, solve a problem really for people at mealtime whether that's breakfast lunch or dinner or whatever they need yeah and uh only extra thoughts obviously as jen said from a perception point of view is just you know it's very much we get to decide that right which is the beauty of obviously running a small business like we we literally sat down of you know do we go on that on that spectrum of kind of you know very classic d to c very clean fonts very simple couple colors in the palette kind of like the casper approach that kind of thing or do you do the exact opposite where it's all just like super random, very comical, very founder driven, like a bit of a dollar shave club type of approach? Like, where do we want to go on that spectrum? And for us, you know, the English humor, the comedy things, where that's just a big part of our lives, it was like, we're not going to lean into that too much, but like, how can we get some like connotations of that and so forth? So, obviously, the name proper good, some of the the fun fonts, the fun style, the little jokes and things on the bottom of the packaging and things like that. It's just very personality driven. And, you know, it's the difference between a brand and a, and a line of products, right? At the end of the day, we want people to see us as a brand. They want people to see the founders behind the brand. We want them to have input on the products, on the process. Like we want it to be a very collaborative thing, which is very much a choice, right? There are plenty of companies who don't do that. And that's, that's totally fine as well. It's just, you kind of have to pick your pick your choice and kind of go with it. So we really wanted it to be a very open, transparent, obviously everything's in transparent packaging if you've seen it. And the idea is that kind of carries on through the the actual brand and communication as well. Yeah, it kind of like sticks out with you, you know, whether whether it's the costumes or like the fun marketing. I haven't yep. heard of the Javi Spoons. I think that's a really cute idea. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> as far as brand perception, you're like, oh, like if you feel good, both emotionally like you're like oh this is so happy like it's relieving a bit of stress from your day like you said Jen or you know it's like you actually physically feel good after eating the meal it it just kind of like sticks with you and has like you said Chris the like connotation having like good memories associated with it like you want to go back you want to like keep purchasing keep eating keep interacting um with the brand so I, I mean that's 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 awesome to hear. And I, I do kind of see that as a, um, I do see that as a consumer. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. <laughs> and so now it's time we can finally dive into customer retention <laughs> as a whole. Um, as you know, this is what the podcast is mainly focused on, but um, I would love to have either one of you or both have your own spin on what is like the ideal customer journey that you're hoping each customer has when they first interact with proper good. I guess we'll start with you, Chris, of like, if you could walk through kind of the ideal uh, scenario. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is that we've learned right from the beginning of, you know, we have so many different attributes, right? So whether it's, as I mentioned before, keto, is it plant-based, is it zero added sugar? Is it the convenience factor? Is it like the breakfast, lunch and dinner options? Like what is it that's actually resonating with consumers? And we're in a really interesting place where Honestly, all of it resonates, but you obviously can't communicate that to everyone. So I think, you know, the three things that have kind of stuck out to us are that 90 second convenience, without a doubt, that clean ingredient list, and then the options for specific lifestyles, gluten-free, keto, et cetera. 
So for us, it's really those three entry points to the brand is what we really try to focus on. Obviously, we do a bunch of everything from, from digital ads and so forth, which Jen can get into. But for us, it is really, you're coming to us likely for one of those three reasons, right? Convenience, clean ingredients, or a specific lifestyle need. From there, it is literally trying to get the food in your mouth, right? We have 7,000 plus reviews. It's 95% positive. We know if you try it, you're likely to enjoy it, right? Our retention is very good from a, from a cohort basis. So it's really how do we get you to try it, right? It's not, it's not a $200 purchase, right? You can get six yeah. meals on our website with free shipping for like 30 bucks, right? And there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. There's virtually no reason not to try it if one of those three entry points is interesting to you. So really that's it, right? Obviously, Jen can go into email, SMS, and capturing and retargeting and so forth. But for us, it's very quickly, whether you're discovering us from an SEO, right? We have a lot of people searching, you know, meals at work, like things like that. Like if you're coming from that, there is no reason you shouldn't be trying proper good. There's no risk to you. It's easy, it's cost-effective, et cetera. So really that's the journey we're trying to say, like we're solving a problem for you. Um, you know, for us, we don't need to sell you too much on the product itself. I think the reviews and the PR and all the rest kind of build social proof around that. It really is, give it a go. If you don't like it, we'll give you money back. It's as yeah. simple as that. Um, right. So yeah, that, that's from my end, but that's, uh, Jen's much more in this than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, no, obviously, I 100% agree with all of that. I think um, what's also interesting from a retention point of view, so one is because we listen to everything that everyone's saying, we do notice if something isn't hitting the mark. So, for example, we had one of our products, it just got worse reviews, you know, to be open with you um, than all the other products. It was definitely like, oh, man, this this isn't good. Obviously, we, we've got a lower percentage of people enjoying this than what we'd expect. And so we then surveyed everybody um, and asked them, like, what was it specifically? And we, we found what the issue was and then we corrected it. And then when we relaunched it, we obviously sent the new version to everybody that had given us a bad review to say, hey, we've listened. Obviously, you like that flavor. So it's to say, you know, someone picks a chicken and mushroom soup. If you like chicken and mushroom as flavors, then you get the soup and you hate it. There's clearly something wrong, you know, right. so it's the yeah. odd one. So we just try to make sure that when we're looking at the feedback, that we're just very honest. Like we may love it, but when you've got thousands of people saying you don't, then you kind of have to say, yeah, we got this one wrong. We right. go back to our lovely team that works on all the recipes with us. And obviously we reevaluate the whole thing. So I think that's one big thing. And I think the retention's great for us as a food brand, because obviously you have to buy more food. Um, yeah. You know, if we're selling shoes, arguably you don't need another pair of shoes for a year, you know. Mm -hmm. But with our case, if you get it and you love it, then, you know, you're continuing to solve that problem. Um, so the, the retention for a food brand, I guess, is slightly different for other brands as well, um, which, which obviously helps us out. And I think the other thing is we get a lot of people that are surprised that they like the brand in the sense that we'll put Facebook ads out there and people will say, oh, I took a bet on a Facebook ad. You know, oh, I never thought I'd buy food online, that type of thing. And then once they try it, they often say, surprisingly, I loved it. And that kind of links back into what Chris was saying, that once they've tried it, then they come back again and again. So it really is just getting it in people's mouths to begin with. And then basically the food speaks for itself, I guess, after that. But that first customer is, um, yeah, that's a tough one to get. And, and obviously that's why Shark Tank was, you know, pretty great for us as well. Yeah. Just to tack on one thing on the end that I think is interesting from 
what Jim was saying, obviously, you know, the holy grail, especially for a DSC brand, is obviously customers bringing in new customers, right? That's the most effective for us. It's the most social proof in terms of a friend recommending it and so forth. And we're really starting to see that now. So in, in that customer journey, we're really trying to build it, you know, whether it's referral or affiliate or just gifting or whatever it is, how do we get the people who enjoy it to get more people to enjoy it? Obviously for us, that's a much more cost-effective way to do things. It's just hard to get going, right? Getting that flywheel truly moving to the point of scale is, is really difficult. But, you know, every day we're getting you know, as Jen said, I'm a teacher and I can't wait to show this to my other teachers or you're, you're in a co-working space and again, because it's food, as soon as you heat it up, the whole room smells nice. So someone yeah. comes over to you and says, what on earth is that? And then, you know, suddenly that kind of really starts to build a bit of that kind of organic, you know, awareness, if you will, or just peer-to-peer kind of introduction to the brand. So at the end of that customer journey, we're really, obviously retention on a per-person basis is a different discussion. But in terms of getting the people who love it to find more customers, like that is a massive focus for us right now for, for obvious reasons. And so with like kind of like building like that loyalty or referral strategy, how have you found other than like organic kind of like referrals or like word of mouth marketing from current customers? Have you like had like a more of a push in your retention strategy to like put an emphasis on that. I, I'm not sure if you have um, like a referral or a loyalty on like the Lomo tracking page or anything like that, or like on your website, but is that kind of like how you've been trying to build it to be more scalable? Yeah, so I would say that the uh, we do have a referral program and a loyalty program, which, which definitely kind of tick away in the background. But I think it's our subscriptions that really kind of have that retention for us. And like when we look at the numbers, um, you get a 20% discount on our subscription. It's also completely manageable by yourself. So Chris and I personally hate it when you have to call a brand to cancel your subscription right it's just so annoying and it it just feels a bit disingenuous as well so for us you know right back to that core value of trying to be transparent this is a situation you know so they can just get online change everything in the back end so you can switch products add new products cancel if you need to and what's great about it is they get the 20 percent discount What's great for us is that we can obviously predict our orders, make sure we've got enough stock of the products that are all on subscription. So it just makes it easier for us to handle what we need to make, you know, because yeah. obviously you're continuously churning out these meals so that it, it just benefits both ends of it. It benefits the customer and it really helps us ensure that we can deliver on that customer experience without kind of getting caught out type of thing. Yeah. We've spoken with a couple of different brands about the importance of giving kind of the user the um, like the reins when it comes to subscription and not having like to kind of like trick or like trap people in a subscription because that just does not create a great experience. Like you, you had mentioned, I hate that too, is when it's so difficult to um, unsubscribe, you know, you're just left with. Yep. you know, a bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> and I think like for us too, like we, we appreciate that, you know, people's tastes change for a bit. Like you might enjoy the product for a few months and you're like, actually, you know, I'm good for a couple of months, maybe during the summer. Oh, now I want soups back again. So it's just nice for people to know that, yeah, if I, if I sign up again, I can also exit again because it's a, a nice process. And while I'm in the process, I, you know, enjoy the discounts. And we also provide like extra gifts and all this type of stuff too to our subscribers. So we really do try to make sure that it's worth it for them um, to be on subscription with us. Yeah, 
just one tactical thing on your question around like how we're actually getting people to kind of get other people involved and so forth. I think um, one really cool program that we do is a donation program. So we actually donate a meal to a food bank or a food charity or, or a similar organization for every social media post that's tagged with Eat Proper Good. So because the package you get, as you mentioned, it's fun, it's vibrant, everything colorful and humorous and all the other stuff, it's very shareable, it is very obviously visual. As a consumer, obviously it's free for you to do that. You just post it online and we obviously then track every post um, across the main channels with our Eat Proper Good. And at the end of the month, we tally those up and donate meals, right? So we've donated now thousands of meals, but it's a, it's a win-win, right? Because consumers get to post something which they like, which is you know not a difficult ask. We get to see that. And obviously that helps us because every post is building organic traffic, it's building awareness. And then on the back end, we donate a meal on your behalf. So it's a really win-win kind of thing. So, you know, we're really leaning into that right now. Of, you know, if you like it, share it. That helps us and it helps other people. It's, it's a true win-win is the goal. That's awesome. I have a lot of respect for both of you for sitting, setting up the system to kind of like benefit all parties. Um, and I didn't mention this earlier, but I also very much respect sending like the newer version of the product to people who had reviewed it and hadn't had um, like had a different interpretation. I, I really respect that. Cause I think sometimes you can get like wrapped up in the pride of like, oh, I like the flavor. So why are other people? But right, right. Um, I think it's very commendable to kind of like reflect. And I think you have to be able to do that, right? To run a, right. a successful right. um, yeah. business and, and with, have, you know, retain those customers. And with D to C, just quickly, obviously that the, it's just not that hard to do from a technology point of view, mm -hmm. right? We know who bought it. We know who didn't rebuy it. We have all their addresses. We have all their emails. Like this is a little bit of lift on an operational side, but it's really not that hard to send out a thousand packages to someone anymore. So. You know, again, back to grocery days, we have no idea if you bought it and you liked it or, or whether we have literally no clue. Whereas here we can literally do things like that. Honestly, on a weekly or monthly basis, we come up with some weird idea of, you know, hey, should we send an oatmeal to all the people who haven't bought an oatmeal yet? Or should we, you know, this kind of stuff of just let's, you know, engage with everyone and see what they want and try to try to do that. Agreed. I was just going to add to that real quick in terms of the DTCE. So an example was... When we first started the company, we had a soup that was called squash and carrot. And we thought that sounded quite proper and quite fun. <laughs> it was basically a, a butternut squash soup that also had some carrot in it, as, as many butternut squash soups do. Um, anyway, we launched it. Nobody really bought it as a single item, but we noticed that when people bought a, like a pack, the item they'd come back for would be the squash and carrot. And also one of our highest rated was squash and carrot. And we quite quickly realized that everybody didn't understand the name. So we then changed the name to the more normal butternut squash and the sales went up straight away. So again, if that was in grocery, we'd just be like, oh, nobody likes it, it's, it's gone. But because we could see that people were rating it the highest and coming back for it the most, um, it just really changed our perspective on it. And we were able to solve that problem, reprinted the labels. And yeah, a few weeks later, it was it was completely solved. So it's just really exciting being able to identify and solve your own problems. And I think it just really shows that sometimes it's not that it's fundamentally flawed. It's just you've missed something and, you know, you can rectify that and, and make everything great, which is pretty cool. Yeah, kind of like you're you're hitting the target, but it's not the ball's high. It's like you have to do exactly. that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you just kind of yeah. have to tweak it a little bit. But that's so interesting that like a name. I mean, 
it's silly sometimes to think like, oh, you don't really think a name or packaging or like any of those little things are going to add up and make the difference. But like time and time again, they kind of prove to make that difference. So that's an an awesome narrative to share. And so with that, um, have there been any like turning points in the customer retention strategy as a whole that, you know, you've kind of adjusted along the way of like, oh, we used to do it this way, but now we're going to like totally transition and do this. Um, Chris might be able to think of some key ones, but I think honestly, it's more like lots of little steps, you know, like we'll be, oh, this, we're going to change this slightly here. We'll, we'll change the, you know, the rewards on the rewards program. We'll move this button here so it's easier to see. We'll change the email follow-ups. We'll change the SMS follow-ups. We'll try this new system, you know, we'll try these types of ads, like whatever it might be. It's little and often i would say rather than oh this is the thing that we changed but i do feel that just going back to the subscription is that we did completely custom make our dashboard um, obviously with the help of some amazing tech people um and i think doing that was key for us because they are you know a, a lot of them are either difficult to use or just not very branded um, and so for us, we wanted to make the brand experience travel through to that back end of the store. Um, and I do think that's really helped. And we have seen the retention has improved with our subscriptions since we made those tweaks and just made it a bit more yeah, on brand and easier to use for the subscription back end. Yep. Definitely on subscription. Film. We've only had proper subscription watch in on eight months and we really only did that back in maybe four months ago. So it's like you know, pretty, pretty new, but without a doubt an inflection point when you look at the data. Um, I also think just obviously, as most people will probably say, is SMS, right? We, we held off of SMS probably the first year of the business. There is no denying that like that now has generated a significant amount of revenue and ROI of just, and it's also easy, right? Like when we do like branded emails, obviously there's a whole graphics process, a whole testing process. Like when Jen says, hey, Chris, we'll write a text message or we do it together. I mean, it literally takes like five minutes. Right. You send, out a te- send out a text message and generate thousands of dollars in sales is... I mean, that's incredibly frictionless. It's just it's just great. So without a doubt, that touch point has been good for us. Um, and then just more, Jen said, it's, you know, kind of whatever the opposite of death by a thousand cuts is, right? It's like built by a thousand bricks or something of like, it's literally just a continuous iteration process. Um, but yeah, subscription has been a big one. SMS has been a big one. Um, just trying to think of any others that have kind of come up as an inflection points. I, w- I would say micro product iteration has been a good one for us. So we would say product launch is a retention strategy in itself. And back to the beginning of the conversation, you can only do that if you have the supply chain, right? I mean, we will often run a couple thousand units of, of a new idea and just test it. And then it goes out of stock. And, and that's a good thing, right? It creates some urgency. It creates a little bit of FOMO. Everyone wants to get in on a new item. But for us, you know, it's, yeah, we took your feedback. We've just relaunched the broccoli cheddar. It's now three times cheesier and, and whatever it is. That, that's not a whole new product, but from a launch point of view, it gives us something to talk about. It's a fun story. You know, we took your feedback, we've iterated, we've relaunched. That is a relatively easy process for us to do, but it creates a lot of buzz and, and things like that. And even more micro-iteration. I mean, at Halloween, you know, we changed some of our labels to be kind of ghosty and ghouly and black and kind of fun. And like, you just do that for the month of October. Like, it creates a buzz and a, a totally different thing of, you know, get a fun Halloween-themed package. And, just micro product iteration as a retention strategy, I think is, is pretty cool. 
Agreed. And it just reminded me of one other thing is um, just like the proactive communication. So when we looked at our data, we could see that when we had shipping delays, which obviously outside of our hands, we can see it's left proper good on time, very fast. But now it's been stuck out and about for five days. You know, obviously we have no idea why we're obviously contacting the carrier, trying to find out. And just kind of pre-sending that type of communication before the customer reaches out to you to complain to say, hey, we're aware of this. Um, I think really helps with the retention because we just know that, yeah, if people get late shipping, they're less likely to obviously buy in the future. Um, and what we do now is, is like, for example, with the Texas storms, we just email everybody just to say, hey, we've told the whole team to stay at home. No one's coming into work. It's too dangerous. Your package will be late. And what's interesting about that is we usually get so like literally hundreds of emails back from people with lovely messages of just so glad your team's safe. Thank you for looking after them. You know, we'll get it when we get it. Whereas I think if we didn't do that, it would be, you know, absolute nightmare of where's my package and not happy customers. So I think that proactive communication does actually really help with retention as well. Yeah, kind of putting like the reactiveness, like <laughs> taking that away of Right. You know, you don't know where your package is, like, where is it? You know, I'm upset. I was expecting it kind of totally. getting out in front of that, I think is a great point. Um, and just like it also, I think it eases the customer because you're like, oh, like they're so aware and they're so on top of it. I don't even have to worry about it now. You exactly. know, like it yeah. kind of like takes away and it like, I mean, it builds a better like trust, I guess, is the word you could put in there of like, oh, they know like what's up, like they're taking care of their team and they're taking care of the customers at the right. same time, like perfect, um, yep. like win-win for everyone. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just real people behind the scenes trying to do a job and there's always going to be problems, right? When you're sending, you know, tens of thousands of packages all the time, it there are going to be issues. Things are going to get lost, to get stuck, whatever it might be. Um, so I think, yeah, it's just managing that. And I think it really does help keep the customers happy and yeah, in the loop really. Yeah. And I, I want to kind of dive into the um, micro iterations of products as well. I know like customer retention, I think it's a great point to say like just the product itself. And we've kind of been hitting on this of just like, if it's a great product, people will come back because they like sure. it and they enjoy it. So I think it speaks um, to the product that both of you have built is just as soon as it's in front of the consumer and they try it, you know, you have a pretty um, substantial, you know, retention rate. And so why yeah. did you like, where did you first come to that realization that like, little tiny changes in the product or new product launches like you you gave the broccoli cheddar example um, yep. was that always part of the retention strategy or was that kind of something that developed along the way i can take that one i think um i would say it was always part of the business strategy so early on we said again back to our, our previous experience that grocery again don't get me wrong grocery has potential and massive volume but when you're young, it's not an iteration environment, right? It's, it's not a yeah. learning environment. It's a sales environment. So for us, right, we need the ability to do that. So we did that. And then I think, as Jen said, we started to see in the data of, well, wait a minute, every time we make an iteration, it seems to like re-excite people and like people love to get involved when we ask for their feedback. So it was always part of the business strategy, but it wasn't part of, I would say, the customer journey or retention strategy until it kind of emerged in the data of, wait a minute, every, every time we launch a a slightly tweaked version everyone comes back like you know it's, it's an interesting just kind of learning and 
I say the excitement around little things like like the Halloween labels, like the new spoon colors, like things like that. It's just it's just fun, right? It, at the end of the day, like there are a thousand different ways to spend your money. You want to where you feel involved. As you said, you don't have to worry about it from a customer service point of view. You know, we've got you covered. We know if you don't enjoy it, we'll give you your money back. So really, all you got to do is decide how involved you want to be. Um, but I think, um, yeah, wasn't part of the strategy, but certainly is, is now. Agreed. And I, I think it's just a lot of it's uh, just trying not to have ego around it. So, for example, our, our chicken noodle, one of the complaints we got was uh, some people would say there weren't enough noodles in it. And we were like, that's weird because there's a lot of noodles purposely <laughs> in there. And we realized that, you know, a, a few were getting through. Obviously, again, it's just people making soup and a few were getting through without many noodles. It's just a moment to say, right, guys, this isn't good enough. We need to sort this out because, you know, people aren't enjoying it as much without the right number of noodles. So it's just those little things of just um, also, yeah, just identifying the problem and then sorting it out for sure. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, that's great. That's great to know. <laughs> I laugh because like the little noodles, like I would never think about that. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, makes totally. total sense. <laughs> And one of the things just on that retention, I would say it's funny because, as I said, like, you know, close to 100% of people enjoy it, but obviously some people don't. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're shipping that many packages, 1% of people not enjoying it is actually a decent number of people. But so you have yeah. to obviously look look in the data of like, if you get 100 people, so I absolutely love this soup. And then one is, this is awful. I hated it. It's like, it's so interesting to be like, why? Like, obviously, okay. you can't change the recipe from that one piece of feedback, but like, it's food, right? People have different taste palettes, different sodium desires, different sugar desires, like everything. So you have to somehow take all of that and look through the kind of muddiness and try and obviously make something that is mostly enjoyable. But it's um, it's very interesting. We did a thing recently, Jen, didn't we, where we sent an email to sort of different groups that you know had bought once, had like left a review, but hadn't bought again in like nine months. And you're like, why? Like you bought it, you left a five-star review and you haven't been back. Like that, that's so strange. And you would think there's so much potential revenue for us there as a company. And it's amazing the responses you get. It's just like, yeah, brilliant. No, I really loved it. I'm planning to buy again. It's, like, it's almost been a year. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, but yeah, people, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And obviously it's just different purchase cadence. And then on the flip end of that, we've got people on 30, 40 orders that are on, you know, bi-weekly subscription delivery. So, you know, you have to try and build a system that's obviously best for you as a business from a fulfillment and simplicity point of view but also build a system that allows people flexibility because you know not everyone wants to be on subscription not everyone wants to purchase the same items not everyone has the same desire to be involved so it's really interesting just you know a couple of years in now we can see that the massive different types of consumer behavior yeah and I, I think you do also have to laugh a little bit too like Chris and I enjoy reading you know right now you know when we when we started obviously the five star reviews what we went for that was exciting right you're getting right. your first ones coming in now we kind of bypass most of the five-star reviews and go straight to the bad reviews. And some of them are hilarious where somebody's come in and bought, let's say, a pumpkin soup. And the review is one star. I hate pumpkin. I hate the taste of pumpkin. And it's like, OK, we're obviously not going to iterate on that. Obviously, yeah. we can't change that a pumpkin soup tastes like pumpkin. And so I think you just have to laugh occasionally of just like, OK, th- this is a bizarre situation. Um, but everything else we try to really, um, you know, re- genuinely deep dive and, and individually email the customer and try to find out what's going on. But there are some funny cases that we, um, it, it, you know, gives a bit of a laugh to the day for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Reviews, I can imagine like in the beginning and then kind of having that growth, like you're like, oh my gosh, yay. Like the validation, seeing five stars, you're like, 
you know, we're doing something right. And now you've had, you know, enough success where you can sit back and be like, okay, the one star review is like, what's going on? Like, tell me, exactly. tell me what you don't like. And then some reasons you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, no, we were going to do a little series on that because it, it's it's hilarious. Like you could come up with some. There's some uh -huh. great funny reviews that just that just don't make any sense, right? Like, oh, I accidentally put in the wrong shipping address. One star. It's like, how is that our fault? And like, you know, things like that. It's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Have you yeah. ever seen like the like celebrities reading mean tweets or something? You could do like oh. a series like exactly. that. We, we've talked like, about that exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> You're just like getting a good kick out of everything. For sure. That's, For that's sure. awesome. Yeah. And so, okay, so a little bit of a pivot, but um, I mean, I know like through your products, you have like clean ingredients, you know, no sugar added, everything. How did you kind of like obtain that information and like make sure that, you know, what your branding says or what you're like mm -hmm. selling is actually accurate? Because I think like the food yep. and bev space or consumer goods, like it's tricky because you know, labels sometimes that like there's so much information out there. And yep. as the average person, you might not like necessarily know what to look for. So I know Chris, you had mentioned like you were yep. on those diets before, but uh, I'm curious, you know, just to like know from a product, like those micro iterations, um, how you grew that. Yeah, from a, so from a, the good news is from like a, a food safety and compliance point of view, right? Obviously, it's it's pretty rigid, um, which is obviously a good yeah. thing. Um, so, you know, the manufacturer has to have that right kind of certifications, both from a, a cleanliness and safety point of view, and then we have inspectors on site from the USDA, FDA, so so on and so forth. Um, what's interesting though, the labels themselves, right? You essentially come up with a recipe, you know, go through that process of taking it from a home recipe that we literally make ourselves through to a obviously commercially viable recipe. And that goes through the same software everybody uses, right? So it's going to spit out the nutritional label based on all the ingredient inputs from all the different suppliers or, or vegetables and so forth that you're using. So honestly, it's a pretty simple system from that point of view. And then it's really up to us to say, you know, here's the recipe we want. What does the nutritional look like? And we'll be like, oh, there's a bit, bit too much sugar in that. That's kind of outside the, the boundaries that we think are appropriate. And then you just tweak it, see if it still tastes all right. And you go through that kind of iteration process. You'll be like, right, well, we've landed on a soup that has hit most of the things. And I think what the really challenging is though, is, is what to choose to hit on, right? Keto is obviously big right now, plant-based is big right now, but yet there's millions of people who are gluten-free, whether celiac or just by sort of choice. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's really interesting of where do you go or, or diabetics, right, low sodium. There's so many options. At the end of the day, food needs to taste good. That is still number one. Um, I think you find a lot of these brands where you're almost too healthy. You know, I've tried them, right? These like amazing protein, zero sugar, zero carb cookies. And you're like, yeah, I'll buy it once because that's sick, that hits everything I want. But it's yeah. awful, right? It just yeah. tastes of actual cardboard. Like, so it's like, so how do you get to a stage of creating something that hits most of the checkboxes whilst being delicious, right? Like at the end of the day, flavor is going to come from fat, sugar, things like that. It's like, you can't have a zero fat, zero sugar, zero carb, all of this and still taste amazing right especially if you want no added preservatives no artificial colors flavors and so forth that's just very hard so you kind of have to pick your choice of you know we want this to be keto we want this to be gluten-free we want this to be low sodium but we're going to accept a few grams of sugar because it really helps with that sweetness or that bitterness or whatever it is so really a, a preference driven thing and we we do a lot of surveying right we have a private slack group we have private things like that of what would be interesting to you um, one thing I would say over the years is we actually first started everything with zero added sugar. Um, that was a, a claim for ours. 
oatmeal that's really hard to do right oatmeal right. is you know you, you need a little bit of sweetness even if it's just fruit it's not necessarily added sugar but if it's just there is just sugar in fruit not much you can really do about that if you don't have that and you just have an oatmeal that's like a bunch of nuts or something it just doesn't taste good it doesn't yeah. so we were a bit nervous of wait a minute we're stepping away here we're gonna have some oatmeals with some sugar some maple now we've kind of stepped away from one of the brand values I don't think we've had a single pushback email, Jen, have we? I mean, in the thousand sold now, no one cares, right? Because it's not, it's not right. 20 grams of sugar. It's not 40 grams of sugar, like a, a random drink from you know, a coffee shop. It's a few grams of sugar that makes it taste delicious. So I'd say, you know, you don't want to get stuck in this mentality of here's a core brand goal of ours. Here's a, a pillar of our sort of you know name that you've just sort of made up that no one actually cares about at all. Um, so we're really trying to live in a space of, you know, iteration and learn as we continuously go. Right. Yeah, and we definitely tried to to be on the lower side. So, for example, like with sodium, obviously, if, if you're somebody that loves salt, then you can easily add more salt. So if yeah. it tastes a bit bland to you, just add more salt. And similarly to the sugar side of things, you know, with the oatmeals, we have different flavors. And some people will say, oh, I added all of the flavor. It was amazing. And then I drenched the thing in maple syrup or whatever. And you're like, right, well, that's now loaded it with sugar. But that's their personal choice, obviously. Um, so we just tried to provide that base that is great on its own. But if you want to doctor it up a little bit, go for it type of thing. Right. Um, and that's your choice. And so I think that works very well. And of course, having so many customers, you do get that kind of scale of some people saying under seasoned, under salted, and some people saying perfectly seasoned, perfectly salted. And obviously some people saying it's over. So we really try to, again, monitor that and just, you know, really hit the middle ground. I mean, so far I'd say it's been working really well. Um, so we definitely try to do that. Thank you for sharing. I mean, it's so interesting hearing like all the little nuances that unless you're in the industry, <laughs> you'd never know. <laughs> and I think that's what's totally. so great <laughs> about oh, chatting yeah. with you both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be, you'd enjoy being a fly on the wall when we do the, te the taste testing. So obviously we have oh, all I'm these sure. very similar <laughs> versions and it's basically, you know, Chris and I like hunched over a table just like, mm -mm. and you know, it's yeah. uh, it takes some time to like really dial it in like our most recent one of our most recent products the tomato soup took us an extremely long time to do it because there's so many good tomato soups out there we really wanted to really hardcore deliver on the health side of it with no added sugar and all that stuff um and it was really hard to get a good tasting recipe um but we finally did it and uh, yeah now we see the reviews we know we succeeded so i guess that Yay. was a pretty cool one <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's those, it's those little things like that. Um, we're coming up on the end of our time. I do want to make space if there's like anything cool on the horizon that both of you wanted to share. Um, but if not, then we also like to round out the episode with like one piece of advice, whether it's around customer retention or just like D2C in general or business um, that both of you have to share and would like to impart. Sure. I guess I'll tell you um, a little excitement coming. I can't tell you what it is, but, you know, we have <laughs> up to this point been a little bit of a seasonal company, um, you know, obviously selling soups and chilies and things. So we are coming out with a summer lineup Ooh. of super easy, healthy meals um, and they will be out in April. So we're very excited to launch that coming up here soon. And then um, in terms of advice, I, I think, uh, I mean, there's millions of things, but I think the one thing for me would just be to know the issue like Chris and I get approached by so many people now for help with business and they often say you know I have this problem that problem 
And then as soon as you ask them, like, why, what have they seen? It doesn't really go much deeper, you know, right. so it's like, oh, I, I can't get this. You're like, okay, is that a, what area is there the problem? What are the numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And they just don't even know. And they haven't even really dived in. So I would just say, as soon as you start to panic, just stop panicking, dive in, find out what the issue is. And then obviously it's a lot easier to solve. Um, Cause like, you know, if we hadn't have found out that there weren't enough noodles in the chicken noodle, we would have just thought people <laughs> just didn't like it overall or whatever. So it's really those specifics I think really helps. Yep. Yep. Uh, a few a few bits to, to wrap up. So I think I would say, you know, I think there's a tendency to always try and do a bit of everything. Um, but at the end of the day, just find out what works and just double down on it, right? Like as soon as we saw the more communication, the more involved people want to be, the better things get, right? So we, we double down on that. The amount of personalized emails, the amount of survey touch points, the Slack group, the Facebook groups, like this kind of opportunity. And that doesn't work for everyone, right? Not every brand has that type of consumer, but, you know, we could do a thousand different things, but we found that works for us and we're, we're doubling down on it, you know? I've been surprised that some of the large brands obviously just don't do that, right? I went for a phase of buying all birds for the shoes where I, I think I literally bought like 10 pairs over like a course of a year. I was like, you know, that's like a thousand bucks at this point. I've yeah. never had a loyalty email. I've never had a VIP email. I've never had a thank you for your 10th purchase. I've never had a free anything. And that was shocking to me, right? In terms of LTV, I've got to be one of the highest customers there. Right. And it's just like, how how is a company of that size never send any form of personalized thank you or communication so for us you know once you get to that third order you're, you're part of a special club once you get to that sixth seventh order you're getting a special personalized email from us and you can build all of this out of course in Clavio and so forth and just really lean into that personalization i think the way consumers want to be communicated to these days is personalized for us it means things like diet and so forth but for other brands it can obviously mean other things but leaning into personalization i think has been a, a massive um, game changer for retention. But a personal advice point of view, I think as you know, this is our second startup now, we've been doing this for about 10 years across uh, different businesses and so forth. And I do think the know when to quit mantra is very relevant because I think there's so much hustle culture today of just, you know, if you, if you haven't succeeded because you haven't worked hard enough, you know, grind, 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 you know, it's utterly ridiculous, right? It's right. just, that's not how things are done. That's not how you build a business. That's not how you build a life. There are many good products that should be got rid of, right? Just to have a good product does not mean you have a good business, right? You need to build the entire system. Just knowing, knowing when to quit, right? There's nothing wrong with that. The learnings you get from that first attempt or that second, third attempt will only improve the later work you're doing. And we've done it on a product level, right? We cut our bone broths, you know, after six months, it's, we're not really a bone broth company. We're not, so we just got rid of them. And that, that's great. Um, you know, knowing when to quit and doubling down on the things that are actually working I think is so much better than just sort of go, 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 and eventually it'll work out because it doesn't, right? Look how many companies get started every year and look right. how many actually succeed to either acquisition or IPO or whatever. That, that, that mentality does not work. So I think a true data analysis and being honest with yourself is, is beneficial for you and the, and the business. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing um, both like the personal 
like business strategy in retention, I think is, is awesome. And thank you again for coming on the podcast. This has been so much fun. I've learned so much that I'm going to now, like just looking at either proper good or any other, um, like consumer good. I'm just going to be like, wow, I know so much now. So thank you for taking the time to share with us and come on our podcast. We've loved working with your team. Um, and you know, having you be a part of the Malomo family. So it's been awesome. For sure. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. I hope you all sincerely enjoyed that episode. It was so fun to listen back to and fact check a couple of things for you all. They were on season 13, episode two in Shark Tank that aired in 2021. I know I am going to go watch it, so I hope you do as well. I also wanted to clarify the company. The company that they referred to before starting Proper Good was Montana Mex. Another fact check that was actually for me, which is fun because I I feel like I haven't gotten to fact check myself in a while on these episodes, but I mentioned I compared them reading feedback from customers to celebrities reading mean tweets and I realized I didn't give credit to Jimmy Kimmel as that is on his talk show. And that is it for all the facts for this episode. Please go subscribe, go like, go review, go tell us your comments. Tell me what you want to see on these episodes. Um, I've loved the feedback that we've gotten from people already. If you have a guest you'd like to nominate, please, please, please reach out and email us. You can find us at marketing at gomalomo.com. Other than that, though, I truly, truly hope you enjoyed this episode. <laughs>